Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello, Sixpackers, and welcome to the Cantankerous Catholic, episode number five, The Family Survival Guide. Here's the scenario. Okay, you're sitting in the family room watching your favorite team playing ball while slurping down a brewski. You're kicked back, relaxing, slouched down on the sofa with your feet on the coffee table. The stresses of your job are a thousand miles away, the kids are all busy doing whatever keeps them occupied, and you're happy to be having a little me time. About the time you begin thinking life just doesn't get any better than this, your beautiful partner walks into the room. Your wife, secretly known to you as the warden, is staring holes in you. You do your best to pretend not to notice the daggers being thrown at you from her eyes. Then she crosses her arms and you realize you'd better acknowledge her before your peaceful existence and life as you know it cease to exist. You look up at her, flash your most heartwarming, boyish smile and ask, What's up, honey? She replies, Your feet on the coffee table. Get them off. Okay, so here's my question. Your peaceful, carefree day is shattered now. How should you react? What should you say? What should you do? We'll come back to answer that right after this. Learn things about the Catholic faith you never knew in Joe Sixpack's Secrets of the Catholic Faith. There are many essentials to our holy and ancient faith that few modern Catholics know. Those essentials have become, well, secrets, hence the title Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is always exciting, never boring, and completely politically incorrect. He never shies away from the so-called untouchable moral issues. With his use of humor and directness, readers and students can never get enough of what he teaches. According to Joe, there isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be completely demonstrated to an inquiring mind. Everything can be demonstrated. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when they need and want meat. Secrets of the Catholic Faith is actually exciting, and it will make any Catholic's chest swell with pride. So get your copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Okay, let's ask again. Your peaceful, carefree day is shattered now. So how should you react? What should you say? What should you do? Well, I suppose that depends on how badly you want to get back to your game and beer and how much you're able to enjoy them when you do. You could tell her to shut up and mind her own business, that you're relaxing, but spousal homicides have been committed for far less provoking actions than this. So that's probably not such a good idea. You could tell her that your paycheck's paid for that coffee table and you're the one who makes the mortgage payments every month. Hmm, she'd probably accept that answer as she reaches for the phone book to look up a divorce lawyer. Yeah, right. That's probably not such a good idea either. You could do the most mature thing you can think of, which would be to stick your fingers in your ears and with an annoyingly loud volume begin saying, la 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 la, until she storms out of the room. 
The kids overhear this, and one of them reaches for the phone to call 911 because everybody knows what's coming next. By the way, if this response came to your mind, you really need to put on your big boy pants. So, what's the answer? Well, the proper and safest response would be to remove your feet from the coffee table quickly while sheepishly saying two magical words. Yes, dear. Ah, yes, those two little words have been the secret behind many a happy and lifelong marriage since Eve handed Adam an apple, and they're a lot better physical defense than any gun. But what's the point to all this? After all, every married man in the world already knows what I'm talking about. Those who don't know this will finally be remembered by their wives from prison while she's doing life without parole. So why in the world would I bother with this little exercise in futile and irrelevant marriage counseling? Well, because we need to have a little talk about marriage, family, men being men, and women being women. As you know from past episodes, I'm not exactly what you'd call politically correct. Actually, that's an understatement. So I guess at this point you realize I'm probably going to make some people angry. Sorry, I'm just following Jesus' example and telling it like it is. The first and most important thing I want to tell you is this. In every Catholic home, the wife is the heart and soul of that home. And every Catholic husband must place her on the honored pedestal she deserves. After God, his highest priority in life must be his wife. If she isn't his highest priority, it's time for some real self-examination. When she became Mrs. Whoever, your wife heard you vow before Almighty God, I take you from my lawful wedded wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health until death do us part. As she listened to you take those vows, she never once thought worse or poor or sickness. She only thought of better, richer, and healthy. You were bigger than life to her on your wedding day, and she was expecting you to perfectly fulfill those vows, vows that she has every right to expect to be fulfilled. But have you filled them? Prior to World War II, the divorce rate was about 1.5%. After World War II, it jumped to 5%. Once no-fault divorce was legalized in the 1960s, we saw divorce rates soar to 50%, a rate that has never since gone down, and that's shared in equal numbers by Catholics as well as non-Catholics. Who's at fault for this? Well, there's plenty of blame to go around for both men and women. Let's talk first about the pre-war rate. Prior to World War II, the divorce rate was only about 1.5%. The primary causes of divorce in the pre-war era were family abandonment, usually by immature and narcissistic men who wouldn't accept their responsibilities as husbands and fathers, adultery, again usually men, and public scandal caused by one spouse sentenced to prison for a crime, again this was usually men. Contrary to popular belief, the church doesn't teach that divorce is a sin. Despite that the marriage vows were taken as a lifelong commitment, the church teaches that divorce and remarriage is a sin. In actuality, it's not possible to affect a marriage, so it's more correct to say that divorce and an attempted civil remarriage is sinful. It's adultery. 
You see, the reason this isn't possible is because Jesus said so in Matthew 19.6. People argue with me all the time about this. They say that the church doesn't see this as a big deal anymore because all a divorced person has to do is get a church annulment to remarry. This shows a definite lack of understanding in what actually takes place. No one gets an annulment. They get a decree of nullity, which is vastly different. To obtain an annulment is to obtain a civil decree from the state that it no longer recognizes the marriage as valid. So this has nothing to do with the theology of marriage. A decree of nullity, on the other hand, is a determination by a bishop done by his designees in a marriage tribunal that there were impediments to the marriage in the first place. So the sacrament of matrimony was never really received by the couple. In other words, the marriage is determined to be null, non-existent from the beginning. Not everyone who applies for a decree of nullity gets one. The church can't undo what God has done. There has to be evidence of a nullifying impediment that existed prior to attempting marriage. For example, if one spouse finds out that the other spouse has never had any intention whatsoever of having children or artificially limit the number of children, the sacrament was never effected in the first place and the couple will get their decree of nullity, leaving them free to marry. In a diocese where the tribunal members are properly trained, decrees of nullity are very rare and almost impossible to obtain. Let me ask, would you invite a homicidal maniac to use a chainsaw to split you in half from your groin to your head? Unless this is your idea of a really good time, I'd think the answer to that question would be in the negative. But that's essentially what you're trying to do with divorce, because Jesus said the two people become one person when they marry. After World War II, the divorce rate jumped to an unprecedented rate of 5%. What caused this? Well, initially, the federal government was the culprit, albeit unintentionally. Since the vast majority of working-age men were away at war, there weren't enough people to build arms and materiel required by the war effort. So Uncle Sam gave us Rosie the Riveter to offset the shortage of men. The origins of the radical feminist movement are found in the women's suffrage movement of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. The reason our founding fathers didn't include women in the right to vote had nothing to do with seeing women as inferior, but rather from practicality. Since men and women understood in those days that the husband had to be the family provider and that wives needed to devote themselves to the care of their homes and families, the framers' intention was that a man was voting on behalf of his entire household, himself, his wife, and his children. But that intention had been forgotten and abandoned by 1870, so the suffrage movement began. It culminated in the 19th Amendment to the Constitution, legalizing a woman's right to vote. This was the beginning of the so-called women's independence movement, which was really the beginnings of the breakdown of the family, albeit subtly. It was the introduction of Rosie the Riveter when radical feminism and the destruction of the family made their first big advancements. 
After the war, the men came home from a victory over fascism, ready to get to work to begin supporting their families again. But a lot of women discovered that they really didn't need their husbands for support. Never mind that in order to work, they had to pawn off their God-given responsibilities for their children to other people. They liked the good money they were earning and the newfound freedom to make family decisions without their husbands. This abandonment of responsibility for selfish reasons began an incredibly destructive force on the family. It's one reason that Pius XII said of the post-war era that we had lost our sense of sin. What women bought into with their wartime experiences was a lie right out of the bowels of hell. Whereas women were always most revered and respected as mothers and wives who worked as partners with their husbands, they suddenly became competitors with their husbands. And that's how husbands viewed it. A woman under genuine Judeo-Christian teaching has always been held in the highest esteem. Indeed, they're actually held in higher esteem than the husband, because the function of the husband is largely seen as utilitarian, the provider of food, clothing, shelter, and medical care. The wife-mother, on the other hand, has a much greater role. You've heard the adage that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Fewer adages have ever been more true. Children get the bulk of their formation from their mothers until about age eight. Even after that age, the majority of children's formation comes from their mothers. As wives and mothers, women are cherished and given priority by both husbands and children. Sure, we joke about marriage sometimes. I jokingly call my wife the warden. But when the rubber meets the road, a husband always puts his wife first when she accepts the responsibilities God intended for her. Most of you six-packers are too young to remember the tumultuous 60s, but I remember them quite well. I came of age in the 60s. I was a long-haired, dope-smoking hippie type. I agreed with many of the idiotic changes being voiced then, such as legalized pot, lowering the voting and drinking age, and free love. I was all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Then I grew up. Sadly, too many from my generation never did, nor have subsequent generations. Not only were the 60s tumultuous in terms of social issues, but the moral lives of Catholics and their families took a real hit as well. It was at this time when divorce rates exploded from 5% to the massive 50% it is today. Although there were a lot of other causes, the primary causes of that were the pill and no-fault divorce. No-fault divorce was first adopted by California in 1969, and in a very short time it spread to all 50 states. Prior to no-fault divorce laws, a spouse actually had to prove adultery, abandonment, or some other aberration of married life that merited separation from bed and board. Since the advent of no-fault divorce, however, we've come to view and treat marriage as disposable as a wrapper around our fast food hamburgers. Prior to no-fault divorce, couples actually had to work in a marriage. Hey, there's a novel idea. Work. No-fault divorce has been the single most contributing factor to the enormously high divorce rate. Add that to the pill and you come up with an explosive situation for any marriage. 
The birth control pill was approved by the FDA for contraceptive use in 1960, but it didn't become popular until 1965. The pill became used by Catholics right along with non-Catholics. Proof of that is when Pope St. Paul VI ordered that his 1968 encyclical, Humanae Vitae, be read from every pulpit in every church, and thousands of Catholics across America walked out in protest during the reading. That's a pretty good sign they were already using the pill. What could be wrong with using the pill? After all, it's easier than NFP methods and has the same effect. Well, there are a lot of things wrong with it. Not only is it against God's moral law, but it's an abortifacient, as are all chemical contraceptives, and it kills millions of children a year in the womb unbeknown to the mother. And because the pill discounts and disrespects the natural rhythms of a woman's body, its use also causes her to eventually be viewed by her husband as an object of pleasure rather than the very special human person she is. In fact, that actually works both ways. Since one can have unrestricted sexual pleasure without consequences, why not just go for it, ladies? After all, if you're careful, no one's gonna know. But even if use of the pill doesn't lead to infidelity, it most certainly removes the barriers for other forbidden sexual pleasures. Masturbation, fellatio, anal sodomy, and certain fetishes. Coupled with the sexual revolution, the pill has led Occidental societies to believe sex and sexual pleasure, no matter how illicit, is the end-all, be-all of human existence. When I was in college a lifetime ago, we learned of Abraham Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs in Psychology 101, which was pretty accurate about what human persons need to live and thrive. Since then, psychologists have revised the hierarchy to include the need for sex in order to survive and thrive. Hmm, let's see. Will I die without food? Check. Will I die without water? Check. Will I die without shelter? Check. Will I die without medical care? Check. But will I die if I don't have the opportunity to gain self-gratification through some form of sexual activity? Well, if every man on the planet suddenly decided to live celibately, the human race would certainly cease to exist. But no one anywhere, man or woman, has died from a lack of sex. To hear psychologists and some doctors tell it, though, you'd think people will die or go insane without sex. The belief that sex is necessary has actually contributed to the breakdown of the family and the 50% divorce rate. Because of this perceived need, men have been led to believe masturbation and pornography are acceptable. Statistically, nearly 7 out of every 10 men hearing my voice view pornography, and they do so believing there's nothing wrong with it. Even if they reject church teaching on this, they at least know intuitively it's wrong because they all try to keep their use of pornography a secret. Nobody keeps secret what they believe is acceptable. A man's use of pornography causes men to objectify women, to view them as mere objects of sexual gratification. Pornography is merely voyeurism, so add this aspect of sexual perversion to couples who use the pill, and you have a married Catholic man's everlasting sexual playground. Va-va-voom!
but the short-term gratification causes irreparable harm to the long-term marriage commitment. Eventually, wives begin to realize they're objects and not persons. When they realize this, many women begin to emulate their husband's infidelity. Yes, pornography use is a form of infidelity. All of this is a downward spiral of moral behavior. Artificial contraception turns marital sexual responsibility into the destruction of inherent human dignity. Add pornography into the mix, as 67% of Catholic men view it, then we end up with the total destruction of marriage. Who pays for it? Society at large, the couple themselves, and children. In fact, if couples don't worry about where they will spend eternity, and hint, hint, it's not heaven or purgatory, then they need to be concerned about what happens to their children. More than 90% of all criminals in prison come from broken and single-parent homes. Like it or not, just as many Americans have criminal records as a college degree. So the statistics don't bode well for children of broken homes. And that's where we're going to take this in the next episode, To the Children. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is a welcome visitor to parishes across the United States every Sunday through his What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Using humor, immutable truth, and ignoring political correctness, Joe Sixpack helps the average Catholic in the pew better know and understand our holy and ancient faith in a way that is refreshing, awe-inspiring, and makes readers chest-pounding proud to be Catholic. And readers love it. Now you can enjoy Joe's work by getting the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It book series. In fact, get two copies of each book, one for yourself and one for your pastor. Then your priest can decide if he wants to help your fellow parishioners by subscribing to the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Get your copy of the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Only a fool believes the Catholic Church isn't in shambles. Christ's Church is full of scandal. Our current pontiff is in blatant heresy, and the laity live in a perpetual state of confusion. But there's hope. There are still a handful of bishops we can count on for orthodox leadership, priests who love and work for souls, and laity-led apostolates that serve divinely revealed truth in every way imaginable. We want to do a great service for you by telling you about them in every episode. So here's today's Catholic Contribution. Carl Keating, a prominent Catholic apologist and author, is the founder and former president of Catholic Answered, a lay apostolate of Catholic apologetics and evangelization. He received his undergraduate degree in applied math at the University of California in San Diego in 1972 and went on to get a Juris Doctorate degree and a theology degree at the University of San Diego. He worked as an attorney practicing law from 1976 through 1987. Carl once told me he's a recovering attorney. Leaving Mass one Sunday in 1979, he found anti-Catholic tracts on the windshields of the cars in the church parking lot. 
He wrote his own track in reply and distributed copies of it at the fundamentalist church responsible for the track. That was the start of what has become the country's largest lay-run apologetics and evangelization organization. Carl retired from Catholic Answers in 2017. Keating's modern classic book, Catholicism and Fundamentalism, was based on a 1988 series that ran for 30 weeks in the Wanderer newspaper. It's a perennial bestseller for publisher Ignatius Press. In August 1986, the first Catholic Answers newsletter was published. In January 1990, Catholic Answers published the monthly magazine, This Rock, for which I wrote for many years under another name. In 1988, Keating changed careers and went into apologetics full-time. He has given talks throughout the United States and engaged in public debates with Protestants. He has been a columnist for The Wander, the National Catholic Register, and the Canadian Catholic Review. He's also acted as an expert on EWTN's Question and Answers Forum. Carl Keating is a very special man who makes a meaningful Catholic contribution. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. Vincent's mother died three days after his birth. His father was a wealthy man and had a nurse take care of his son's every need. As the boy grew, the father began to worry that his boy would become selfish with all this care, so he adopted a boy the same age as Vincent. The newly adopted son's name was John. As it turned out, John was rather rough and cruel to Vincent, but he never complained. John began to drink and finally caused such a scandal that he left his father's home. Neither Vincent nor his father heard from him for many years. Since Vincent realized how worried his father was about John, he decided to go out and look for him. He knew that his adopted brother loved horses and the outdoors, so he traced John down into Arizona, then to Mexico, and finally caught up with him in Argentina. When John saw Vincent, he tried to pick a fight with him. The two brothers met up in a tavern where John was drinking. In order to scare him off, John fired a shot at Vincent. However, Jose wanted to protect Vincent, so he drew his gun and fired at John. When Vincent got in the line of fire while trying to stop Jose, one of the bullets from John's gun hit Vincent instead of Jose, the intended target. There was a silence as Jose and his friends carried the dying man into another room. Vincent had something to say to his brother. As John came to his side, Vincent spoke slowly. Johnny, your father is waiting for you. You're breaking his heart. Forget the past and go back to him. Tears filled John's eyes as he fell to his knees beside his brother. He promised to go back to his father. A few moments later, Vincent died peacefully, glad that he could bring his brother back to his father. This is a picture of God's love for us. We've been adopted by our Heavenly Father in baptism. We left our Father's house by sin. Christ, 
our elder brother, left heaven in order to bring us back to our heavenly father. He pleaded with us through the many graces he offered. He won us back for heaven by his death on the cross. It was our sins that crucified him, just like John's bullet killed Vincent. His sufferings teach us God's love for man and the evil of sin. I'll see you next time, Six Packers. And remember, comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.